Hey, St. Paul, and welcome to our next episode on Brendan Manning's book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Tommy, thank you for being with us today. You're welcome, John. Pleasure. We're, we're making it through the summer, aren't we? We are. Yeah. We started this book about uh, seven or eight weeks ago, and um, I texted uh, Tommy last night that this book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, and by the way, if you have not uh, got your own copy yet and started reading it, I encourage you to do so. I told Tommy last night that this book keeps on getting better and better and better each chapter. So far, I would say this chapter coming up is the best chapter, but maybe next week I'll say that the next chapter is the best. But this one is uh, entitled, it's chapter eight, and it's entitled uh, Freedom from Fear, Freedom from Fear. And um, I was sharing with Tommy before we began that uh, one of the things that holds us captive over and over and over again is the captivity of fear. I came across in another book, a book by Douglas Himes, this story about an Arab chief who tells the story of a spy that's captured. And this spy is sentenced to death by a general in the Persian army. This general had the strange custom of giving condemned criminals a choice of the firing squad or the big black door. The moment for the execution drew near and the guards brought the spy to the Persian general. And he asked the spy, what will it be, the firing squad or the big black door? The spy hesitated for a long time and finally he chose the firing squad. A few minutes later, hearing the shots ring out, confirming the spy's execution, the aide turned to the general and and asked, uh, why do they choose the firing squad? And the general responded, they always prefer the known to the unknown. People fear what they don't know, yet we gave him a choice. And then the aide asked, what lies beyond the big door? And the general says, freedom. And I've only known a few brave enough to take that door. Wow. The best opportunities in our lives, more often than not, stand behind that foreboding door of the great unknown. And we're more comfortable to stay in what we know. Uh, You've heard the mantra or the saying, the devil we know, (laughs) it's often better to stay with the devil we know than with the risk of change, even if it would mean a better life. John, this is a chapter that points out a lot of what goes on in our culture and society today. It is something that we all face. We say the word fear, you know, fear of of an accident or fear of uh, something we put ourselves in position to be harmed is one thing. But having the fear of, just like you said, about what is the unknown. And I think I have to go back and when I, when I read and reread this chapter and think about what Manning is saying, it all boils down to one fact. Why do we fear? If we are children of God, why do we fear? And I think it has to do with we get so busy 
that we forget who God is. We forget what he has promised us. We forget that he is sovereign. We forget that he came to set us free. Exactly. Free from that sinful nature. Yeah. Tommy, those those moments where we find Brendan Manning would, would call asking the what if questions. We just have too much time just gravitating, leaning in, believing, being motivated by, being driven by these what if questions. He says, um, look at the many if questions we raise. What am I going to do if I do not find a spouse, a house, a job, a friend, a benefactor? What am I going to do if they fire me, if I get sick, if an accident happens, if I lose my friends, if my marriage doesn't work, if war breaks out? What if tomorrow the weather is bad, the buses are on strike, an earthquake happens? What if someone steals my money, breaks into my house and kills me? Once these questions guide us, Brendan Manning says it this way, we take out a second mortgage in the house of fear. It's true. And these questions guide our lives. Absolutely. They're paramount in the way we process things. The what if question. So to me, we have to we have to embrace, as you and Shane have repeatedly said, you're either of the kingdom of God or you're kingdom of the world. And in the world, that is what's paramount in our society and in our lives is fear of the unknown. If we're in the kingdom of God, that liberates us because he is sovereign. He cares for us. And his thumbprint is on every circumstance in our lives. Just think about that. Every circumstance in our lives is God either teaching us something or making us realize where are we in our plan of salvation, in our road to salvation. So many people in our lives have tried to impose fear upon us as a way to control us. We lose our freedom because we want to be safe or we want to feel safe. We uh, give up our certain liberties. Those who actually offer the freedom, they just want to have power over us. Now think about our spiritual journey. Our our greatest adversary is Satan in, in ourselves, our sinful nature. And Jesus says, I have come to set you free. I have come to set you free. And John writes later on in one of his letters that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. Paul writes to the Galatians, if Christ has come to set us free, then why don't we remain free? He didn't. He didn't come to set us free for just one moment, but to live in a new reality of freedom. John 15 says succinctly, Abide in me. Make your home in me as I make it in you. We go back to the Old Testament in Solomon building the temple. The temple where God reside, or the tabernacle. Right. You know. But at the crucifixion, that veil was split. Now we are the temple. And that is a huge responsibility when you really think about it. God resides within us. Do we want to provide a home for him 
that is consumed with fear and doubt? Or do we want to surrender our lives to him where he can liberate us from those? And, and I think that's the central point of what Branning is saying is, <laughs> what was he saying in the, uh, the church has for years and years and years forgotten what Jesus said? And listen to me, because you're stupid and you don't know how to make a decision. Let me make it for you. Brennan Manning says uh, ordinary people uh, could not endure the burden of freedom from the church's perspective. So the church took freedom away uh, from them for their own good. They would just abuse it and misuse it anyways, he writes. You know, when we when we think about Christianity What's the cornerstone of Christianity? Freedom. I think back about on Sunday, we will celebrate the 4th of July, which is the Declaration of Independence, freedom from the British rule. There's a lot of people that signed that declaration that put their lives on the line. Had we lost the war, they would have probably been executed. But they went beyond the fear of that because they had the freedom. They knew what we could do if we could just step forward with courage and put that signature on that document, which has lasted for 200-plus years. Sometimes I wonder if our society now has forgotten that. What do you think causes people to to submit to fear, to be controlled by fear. What do you think it is that is inside of them that causes them to believe the lies of fear? John, I, I'm not sure about that. I think we have to really come to a point in our lives that we have to turn everything over. And I know that you and I know that Shane and his last sermon talked about change. And the only way that you change is to be true to yourself, to find out who you really are. And only then can you begin the process of change. And I think we have to change our, our innermost parts and in our hearts to accept the fact and the whole idea of this ragamuffin gospel is God accepts us as we are. We don't have to pay for this. And one of the, probably the second word in the Bible other than Jesus is grace. Accept that fact that all our sins forever and ever have been paid for. What do we have to fear? Fear denotes a, a concept of punishment. Freedom doesn't. I go back to what we spoke about earlier about one of the spiritual journeys that a lot of people go through are the 12 steps of Alcohol Anonymous. And it doesn't have to be addicted to alcohol. It could be addicted to anything. But those 12 steps, that's a spiritual journey. If you really take the time to read those 12 steps and process what it's saying, and in step four, where you're, take, you're talking about taking a moral inventory of your life, not being judgmental, but just it is what it is. 
you know, and th- this is where I think we have to come to grips with why do we fear when we are children of God? I think we have to accept that fact. We have to internalize the fact that God loves us no matter what, and Jesus paid the price. Even we go back to the Garden of Eden with the first sin. They had it all, but yet they gave it up. And then we go to Revelations. We see what the New Jerusalem, throughout these whole 66 books, it's the idea of redemption. God had a plan. He put it in place. And he knew that he had to give up something to free us. And he did. So we need to accept that fact. The, the corner of Christianity is freedom. Can you really accept freedom without first believing that you're held captive? That you're in bondage. I mean, people don't change unless they they think and believe that they have to change. Uh, you know, you don't change directions. I think about driving down the road and and uh, and not needing any directions, right? And right. my wife keeps on asking, um, "Honey, I don't think we're on the right road." And if I keep on believing that we're on the right road. I'm not going to accept any kind of directions or anything like I don't need a map. We're going. We'll find it. It'll be fine. If we don't believe that we need to change, then we never experience change. And if we never accept that we're under the bondage of sin and of self, the self image of what we portray to other people, then we'll never be free to live and experience that new life in Christ, that freedom that he offers. Yeah, and it, we go to the, the, the wonderful chapter in Romans, Romans 8. My favorite chapter. Yeah, freedom of children of God except grace. We accept grace in theory, but we don't practice it in our everyday lives. That's from chapter 1, I believe, of this book. Yeah. It, doesn't he exactly. mention that? I mean, That's right. What I had just mentioned, I believe, about uh, captivity, if you don't believe that you're captive by something or you're in bondage by something, you can never be freed from it. Yeah. That's from, from chapter one. We accept as Christians, in theory, <clears throat> this idea in the academic mind. Right. I've often thought about the Christian walk, how it can be, how it can become overly academic in our heads more than experienced in our hearts. And if you take a roller and you measure the distance from your brain to your heart, it's about 12, 13 inches. I mean, if you lean over a little bit, maybe, but it is the foot, the 12 inches that can defeat the Christian. It is the foot that can defeat us. Because if we remain in, th- in theory and never experience it, it will quickly become insignificant. It will quickly become insignificant. I, you know, this, this chapter has um, just caused me and prompted me to ask a lot of questions. Exactly. The questions about myself, self-reflective questions. Um, and, and, and many of those questions have been centered around 
am I wearing a mask? Am I, am I wanting to portray something about myself to other people? Am I trying to control and overshadow or veil the ragamuffinness of myself? Right. And look, it, you know, look, we can't help it. I mean, we do it sometimes. The problem is, is when we don't recognize that we're doing it. If we can't go back and say to ourselves, wow, I really just veiled myself or I didn't allow my real self to come through there. That's one thing. If we are, we're not able to recognize that we're doing it, that's that's where the problem. Then we are li- living in a lie. But it's not only with other people, Tommy. It's when we do this with God. Then when we approach God as uh, carrying our own trophies, you know, our own vitas, our own credentials, God, uh, dear God, uh, this is John, the Reverend John. Um, oh, by the way, I have a master's of divinity, um, right. you know, and, and it, it just, we have to approach God as ragamuffins as ourselves. And I think what prevents us from living into this is not only the self-reflective of how we cover and veil this between other people, but how we do it ultimately with God and thus denying the goodness, the grace, the freedom that God offers to us. John, I'd like to take a moment and and read something from um, this chapter. Sure. And listeners understand that Brennan Manning was an alcoholic. This is a very, very interesting quote, he said. I experienced a significant breakthrough into the freedom of the children of God at my first AA meeting. In the past, I would have set great stores not only on looking good, but on thinking too often about who is looking. My self-image as a man of God and a disciplined disciple had to be protected at all costs. My insecurities made my sense of self-worth rise and fall like a sailboat on the winds of another's approval or disapproval. It was a supreme moment of liberation to stand up, kick the pedestal aside, and simply say, my name is Brennan, I'm an alcoholic. My spiritual director once told me, Brennan, give up trying to look and sound like a saint. It would be a lot easier on everybody. (laughs) And that is so true in our everyday lives. We're so consumed with looking good and trying to be a saint, trying to be perfect. We make others uneasy around us. You know, part of the, uh, the Alcoholics Anonymous 12 Steps is experiencing the God you understand. Right. And if we were to write a one ad for a God, what would you say in that one ad look uh, needed one God who is, how do you understand God? Well, you, 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 you fall under the pressure of saying, Oh, I don't understand what well, you just need to start where, you know, what, you know, and I think the paramount thing that Brennan Manning, what the gospel message, the life of Christ, the writings of Paul In many, many other books, the paramount issue is to come to a God who is loving, who offers this freedom. That's right. It's just like a communication with you, John. I don't script it out. (laughs) I come to you and we talk. Uh, it, It could be about anything. Why shouldn't we do that with God? He's our father. 
can't we go to him? Or have we just put these barriers up that we say we've, we've got to do this rote uh, prayer to God and maybe he'll answer us. Maybe he's that ATM machine that we can just go to him and cry for everything and he's going to say, yes, children, I will give it to you with no responsibility on our part whatsoever. When you chunk it down to the, to the bare minimums, we have to make a choice. If we're going to be free, now, you don't have to do that. It's your choice. It's my choice. Again, this chapter just prompts a lot of questions about me and about how I approach life. And you're either in the kingdom of God or you're in the kingdom of the world. And if you're in the kingdom of the world, freedom is not an option. Freedom in Christ frees us from fear, empowers us to let go of the desire to appear good so we can be who we really are. And when we when we come to that point in life, our compassion for others, as, as Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. We eliminate judgmental attitudes toward others because we've been there before. We see them through different eyes. Sure. With compassion, with gentleness, with empathizing uh, words and heart. The call to Christ is liberty, freedom from our sinful nature. And freedom is the cornerstone of Christianity. I think throughout my adult life, and even if I think back growing up, Christianity had not been explained to me as freedom. Freedom was disguised in what we can't do or what we shouldn't do. When we start looking at freedom as what is limiting, then we start to become defensive. We become fearful. It ends up showing us that freedom really is making sure that we're walking the line. But that's not what freedom is. Freedom in Christ is this opportunity to live without the burden and anxieties of the what ifs. To be able to let go and let God. To be okay with our sinfulness, but not be okay remaining there. And the Spirit of the Lord is that source of freedom. Exactly. We do want to thank you for joining us again this week. Our prayer is that this would become a a reflective week for you. Asking yourself the questions that many times we shy away from and many times that we don't even begin to even entertain. The, the questions centered around, what am I in captivity to? Jesus offers freedom from that. But the step, the step towards that is kicking away that pedestal where we stand upon that soapbox and rationalize why it's okay or why it's good and just be embraced by one who loves, one who is full of grace and mercy and holds us in his embrace. God bless.